gotta tell somebody. This is the best thing I've ever seen. That. Let's talk about that. Let's you talk need about this. that. Listen to this. Memorable and exciting. Well, then be less boring. I'm gonna tell everyone. Wait here. Quite a remarkable big daddy. Remarkable. Remarkable. Right? Welcome to Remarkable, a podcast for B2B marketers that deconstructs the most iconic moments in film, television, pop culture, and advertising for a single purpose, to give you, the B2B marketer, the same storytelling techniques that the pros use. In each episode, you will learn techniques from Hollywood, Pixar, Marvel, and beyond, from Spielberg's hands to yours, bringing remarkable content ideas to you every single week. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. This is Remarkable. This week, we're talking about B2B marketing lessons from Bluey with our special guest, Nate Bagley. Bluey! Nate, how are you? I'm great. I'm honored to be a special guest and not just a regular guest. <laughs> Indeed, quite <laughs> special. Excited to chat with you today about Bluey, about content marketing, much more. So let's get into it. Why the heck did you choose Bluey? I think Bluey's the best show on television that most people are probably not watching because most people don't have toddlers and they're missing something really special. Bluey is a kid's show. It's on Disney+, Plus, but it's not a kid's show. It's very much a show created with kids in mind, but I really think it's more of a, a family show. First, hey, Frozen Bingo. If I've ever hurt your feelings, I'm really sorry, mate. Must feel really bad when your dad does that. Just know that I love you, kid, and I'd do anything for you. Right, let's do this! Yeah! And as a dad of two little kids who oftentimes need a distraction, and there's many, many choices of children's entertainment to help, like, educate and distract and entertain your kids... I would say 99% of kids' programming is either, like, way too fast-paced and, and, like, crazy or, like, violent or questionable or it's just straight-up annoying and just, like, grates on my nerves. And it's, like, the, the songs or the shows that you hear playing in the background and you're like, if I, if I hear this one more time, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to throw myself through a wall. But Bluey, like... Bluey is just really special. And hopefully our conversation today will shine a light on that. It's none of those things. Yeah, I will say that I have been avoiding it. We have a two, a little over two-year-old. I saw like a five-second clip one time and I was like, oh, this kid sounds pretty annoying. And so I was like, we're not, we're not going to watch Bluey. And so I had to watch it for this. And Nate was like, oh, you're probably going to cry. And I'm like, you don't know me. I cry at everything. So that's not that big of an ask. But yeah, I watched one episode and and I was like tearing up like this show. Yeah. Works. So yeah, no, I'm I'm definitely, I'm converted. I don't know. Well, now I need the deets. Like what was the episode you watched? I watched the cricket episode. Uh-huh. Sometimes Rusty would play with his older brother's mates. One of them being this kid, Tiny, who could bowl really fast. Got him! He was never brave enough to bat. Who's that? Until one day... Um, mine? He was. Rusty, you can bat if you want, but no one's got to go easy on you. Understand? 
And it's just great because, first of all, that episode is like narrated by the dad, which is like pretty much a sucker for any story that's narrated by a dad. They're they're playing cricket, and basically the plot of the episode is that three of the dads are trying to get out one of the kids, and the kid is like really good, and they go through the story of like how he got so good, and they're trying to do all this different stuff like, oh, they try to pitch fast to him, and they try to like hit a crack on the ground, and they try to do this, and it shows like how he learned all those different things. Yeah, it's great. I might cry just saying it right now. And then he gets like a letter from his dad, and his dad has been away and stuff. It's very touching. Rusty, Dad's letter has a PS for you. Can you read it? This tiny sounds like he's got some pace on him. He does. I wish I could be there to bowl a few at you, but I can't right now, mate. But look, as you grow up, you'll face harder things than a cricket ball. And yeah, it's like, man, this show gets it. And it was in five minutes, the five-minute story, yeah. which is brilliant. In five minutes, it will wreck you, take you on an emotional journey, and just totally leave you like, oh my gosh, I'm feeling all the things. Okay, so Meredith, what the heck is Bluey? Yeah, so like Nate said, Bluey is an Australian animated TV series. Notice I didn't say for kids, because like Nate said, really appeals to multiple generations. And it's about the daily life of this blue healer cattle puppy. Okay, mini Bluey, let's learn about me. Um, I thought it was interesting that they picked an Aussie breed to be the main family. And so it's about her and her friends and family. And... All the other families are like different dog breeds. And so they're all sort of like united in this sort of dogginess, um, but they're all unique in their own way as well. Um, and the other thing I was thinking was like blue healers are known for being like super energetic and kind of chaotic. And so Bluey's always like turning these like everyday things into adventures and using her imagination to do it. Ring, ring. This is the doctor's office. Hello, it's Edna speaking. How are you? Hello, I need to see the doctor now. Mm, yes, okay. Sure. Okay, we'll see you in 15 months. Bye. The show premiered in 2018, so it has three seasons out. Um, it was created by Joe Brum, who is an Australian creator, and it stars the voices of David McCormick as the dad and Melanie Zanetti as the mom. But one thing I noticed was I was like, well, who plays Bluey? Mm-hmm. And and I was doing a little, you know, looking into this, and it looks like Bluey, Bingo, and some of their other friends aren't credited because they're the voices of the children of the TV production crew. And so it's to protect their identities that they're not they're not credited. But I thought that was also kind of sweet. It's like very protective, but also yes. like highlighting their their talent. But it also feels very authentic in that way. And what's cool is it's it's the number one Australian children's TV show. It's been nominated for so many awards, including the 2022 ACTA Award, winner for Best Children's Program, 2019 International Emmy winner for Kids, for Preschool, um, and The Guardian has called it arguably the best television series in the world. There are now over 100 episodes, and each is about five to seven minutes long, so very, very digestible, very bingeable. We talk about it, Caspian, that we want to create our content to educate, inspire, and entertain. And it's funny that you said educate, distract, and entertain for uh, for what you're looking for in, in your programming for your children. That's, it's inspirational, that's, too. That yeah. is pretty good. Why do you think Bluey is remarkable? There are so many reasons. One reason I think Bluey is remarkable is its ability to evoke really strong emotions from kids and adults in a six-minute episode. 
and we can talk more about that. Another reason is I think the creators really understood who they were creating the show for. Like they understood who the gatekeepers of consuming their content were. It's one thing to create a kid's show to entertain kids, but it's another thing to create a kid's show that the parents want to watch with their kids and that the parents will encourage their kids to watch. And I think that's, they, they were able to like, they were able to capture something really special. I think uh, some other things that make it special are every episode feels remarkable. Like there's, there are not very many sh- episodes that you watch where you're like, eh, I didn't really enjoy that. Like there's something special, there's something unique, there's something funny or engaging or interesting or re- remarkable, literally meaning like that you could have a conversation about in every single episode. This isn't how you wanted the game to go, is it? No. That's okay. There's nothing we can do. It's out of our hands. And I think the last thing that really makes it special is they've done a really good job preserving what makes it special. I think it's really easy as a show maybe gains a little bit of popularity for it to compromise or change or, you know, dilute itself a little bit. And I think the creators of Bluey have kept the show laser focused and they have been able to preserve the specialness through every single season. What do you mean by that? I mean, something as simple as like not revealing the the names of the child actors. That's one thing. Or I don't know if you remember growing up watching cartoons. The shows were very formulaic. It was like yeah. kind of the same the same plot every single episode with just a different slightly different characters and a slightly different script. And they, it was easy to it's easy to phone it in when it comes to children's entertainment because they'll watch the same thing over and over again. But with Bluey, it's like every episode is creative and different. Like everything from an episode about taking your family camping or going to pick up takeout Chinese food or like what what it's like to share a room as kids and then have one of the kids outgrow the room and move into a new room and you're sleeping in di- in different rooms or what it's like to deal with ADHD or what it's like to as a parent feel like you're just not living up to your own expectations oh my balloon it's popped it's all good we can blow up another one but that was my last balloon oh Did I make that a little too fun? Yeah, you did. Sorry, Squirts. It's a hard one to get right. You know, there's just like so many topics that they cover in so many beautiful ways, and they change locations all the time. Sometimes they're at home. Sometimes they're at grandma's house. Sometimes they're at school. Sometimes they're just like out at a park playing. And like the specialness of the show is its thoughtfulness and its uniqueness and its ability to stay true to to the characters. And also the fact that the characters are like so relatable and imperfect, but still in their imperfection, make you as the viewer want, at least me, they make me want to be a better parent. Bandit, the, the dad on Bluey, makes me want to be a better dad. Mm-hmm. And he's not a perfect dad. Can I have my Rashi? Did you bring it? No. Then no. Dad, did we bring sunscreen? Oh, no, I didn't. It's okay. We don't need sunscreen. Yes, we do. We'll just have to stay in the shady bit and we'll put our hats on. What hats? But when I watch Bandit, I'm like, oh, that is the embodiment of the ideal dad that I kind of have created in my head. And somebody else took that 
and somehow like wrote a show of a dad with a wife and two little girls, which is what I have. And <laughs> the, the, like the personality and the desire to see his kids learn and grow. There's a funny clip on one of the episodes where he's trying to teach his kids that it's that like you value things more when you work for it. Dad, our ice cream's melted. It's a hot day, kid. You had them out in the sun. The sun melts ice creams. Can you buy us another one? Zero chance. Oh, why not? Because it's not my fault they melted. You took too long to eat them. So we get nothing. Well, you get a valuable life lesson. I don't want a valuable life lesson. I just want an ice cream. And I'm like, I can totally see myself <laughs> being that dad who is like, yeah, I'm trying to teach you a valuable life lesson, but it's just like totally going over the kids' heads and all they want is ice cream. So it's like little things like that that I'm like, okay, like you you fully understand exactly who you're writing this for. And there's something really special, I think, when you're writing, you're creating something for a target audience and you know exactly who that target audience is. And I I haven't felt that, in especially in a kid's show, but in most shows, I haven't really felt that until I watched Bluey and I'm like, oh, I see myself in this show in a real way. So, and in that, it doesn't get lost over those three seasons, which is, I think, remarkable. Yeah, we when we did an episode on Ted Lasso, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of the same things, right? Where it's like... Oh, very similar. Ted, Ted makes you want to be like a better person, you know, yeah. better leader, all that stuff. And, it, you know, this is like why we created the show Remarkable is to talk about this stuff because if you can write these characters, if you can create these characters that are so true to life that are inspirational, that are educational, and that are entertaining, like, you're you're going to win. Meredith, what do you think when you watch the show for the first time? You know, it was interesting because I don't have kids. And so I was thinking, you know, what is it going to be like to watch this show that's, like, really meant for parents and children? But there is something just so delightful about it. I mean, a couple of things I noticed is, like, well, the, the Australian accents are so charming and, like, the colors are so beautiful. And what I was telling Nate earlier was just watching the animation, there is authenticity in the way the characters move, like the way little kids like sit on the couch upside down and like kick their legs around or like the there is like, I mean, even if you had brothers and sisters, there are parts where I was like, oh my gosh, this is the chaos of my household growing up, not in a bad way, just in a sort of a bigger family kind of way, or it's like, you know, the parents are just doing their best and the kids are off playing and they're using like kid logic and it, there just was a real sense of authenticity. And like, you can tell that the creator had experience with children, probably had kids of his own, which, you know, he does. And that the animators paid attention to how they moved, how they talked, how they interacted. Goodness me, the customers have ordered 10 pizzas. 10? They said they're having a pizza party and we should take our time. Okay, I'll get started. And especially in like the relationship with the parents too, and just, you know, you see them trying their best. And like Nate, you said, there are moments where they're like holding themselves to a really high standard. And sometimes that standard is tested and that sort of thing. So, so many moments where you're like, oh, I get this, you know, and even for somebody who doesn't have kids. I mean, the other thing is like, it's super easy to watch, you know, because it's so such short episodes. You don't feel like you're 
It's not an investment to spend time watching it. Is this what you want, fairies? There's a hand! Are you not entertained? <laughs> and it is entertaining, and so it, it's a it's a great show. I was surprised. Where I was like, I, I could actually watch this. I don't know if that's creepy because I don't have kids, just like yeah. watching cartoons by myself. But yeah, it's a really lovely show. You reminded me of something that I don't think I've ever really thought of before is I think Bluey is a counter narrative to the children are a burden message that I think is really prevalent right now online. I think a lot of people talk about like, oh, I never want to have kids or kids are so annoying or they're such a burden or you have to give up everything. There's like so many reasons that people list not to have kids and talk about them in a negative way. And I think Bluey does a really great job illustrating the magic that I'd like, yes, there's hard things about having kids. It's, it's not an easy thing, but I don't think I've ever seen a show that accurately communicates and reflects the magic that is raising a kid and the delight. And that definitely permeates almost every episode as well. Are these all your children? Yep. I thought Coco was your first. No, I've got eight kids. Wait, no, nine. I had no idea. Wow. You must have learned a thing or two. I have. And there's something you need to know. What? You're doing great. Yeah, I think for me as a parent, I, you know, I try to have my kid watch as as little, you know, TV and screen time as possible as I can, try to get him outdoors as much as I can, you know, et cetera. But what, what we made the conscious decision of early on was like, what I wanted him to watch was stuff that was like made by Disney, like like feature films that had like actual character arcs and like through lines and things like that because I felt like it was important for him to see an actual story with a message with people, you know, dealing with difficult things. And as we know with Disney, somebody always either dies or is sick or, you know, they have to deal with Parent some sort dies, of crazy thing. Yeah. yeah. So many so, orphans. I, Yes. Yeah, exactly. And so I just wanted either that or to be like, you know, like nature documentaries or things like that. And I didn't want to watch, I didn't want him to watch cartoons. Like when we, when we do that, he's obsessed with the Paw Patrol books, which is hilarious. Cause we, and then finally we gave in and, and watched the Paw Patrol movie. But I just felt like there's so few shows that have like a really good story that they're trying to tell and this show tells a really good story in five minutes um and that's what i love about it it's like it actually is a lesson and i don't want you know it's like the we we did the dos Equis man for for a very early episode of remarkable and it's like i don't always you know want my kid to watch tv but but when they do like i'll settle for bluey sort of a thing and that's how i feel like for me someone who loves entertainment and loves movies and loves TV shows as an adult, I want my kid to love all that stuff too. Dad, is there going to be thunder in the movie? Maybe. Oh. You sure you're ready for movies, Bluey? You're a bit of a sensitive kid. Mackenzie's seen it. Yeah, but you're not Mackenzie. I know, but I'm ready. Just checking. Come on, let's go get some tickets. I just, he's not ready for it at two years old. (laughs) And he needs to spend more time outside. And so that's what I think is cool about finding these things, finding Bluey is that you get to make that choice. And like, 
you kind of know that Dad and Bluey is okay with that choice too, right? <laughs> you just want to watch one episode, and it's kind of a funny, uh, funny thing. Sometimes I wonder if the creators start an episode with the question, what emotion do we want to evoke in this episode? Like maybe they have a general like storyline or plot they want to tell. But like some of my favorite episodes are like there's one episode called The Show and Bluey and Bingo, the two sisters are like really excited to put on a show. I think every kid can remember doing this for their parents. They're like, we want to put on a show. And they sit them on the bed and then they like stand on the other side of the room and they act, they reenact how mom and dad met each other. And <laughs> it's like so, it's so cute and silly. And there's one point where one of the girls just dressed up as mom. And she's like, and then mom got pregnant and she puts a, a balloon in her dress to make her tummy look big. And then they keep talking about the story of mom and dad falling in love and having this baby and the balloon pops. We can't do the show without you. And you see Chili, the mom, like well up a little bit with tears and Bandit, the dad, reaches over and puts his hand on Chili's lap. And it's like this little split. It's like a two second moment that just cuts to the parents. And like as a parent, the kid doesn't pick it up. But as a parent, you're like, oh, they had a miscarriage. Like before they had Bluey, they had a miscarriage. And like my wife and I had a miscarriage before we had our first kid. And like immediately when that balloon popped and we saw Chili's face, I was like, tears. And I'm like, oh, we know that feeling, you know? And it's like just this little moment of realness that like I'm getting a little emotional just thinking about right now. And it's like, oh, that's really special. Or there's an episode called Army. And it starts out with this kid, Jack. He's a Jack Russell Terrier. And he's driving to school with his dad and his little brother in the back seat. Come on, Jack. Can you sit still, mate? Yes, Dad. Did you remember your hat? Um, my hat. Where's my hat? Ooh, look, a goat. Jack, your hat? I forgot it. Ah, oh, Jack. What are we going to do with you, mate? Jack, still not sitting still. Jack. Sorry, I forgot. Why can't you do your toes? I don't know. And he's kind of sad, and his dad's like, what's going on? And he's like, I just don't like school. I'm not very good at it. Like, I can't sit still. I can't follow directions. I, I kind of just communicating I'm a failure at school, and he just doesn't like going because he doesn't feel like he's good at anything. And then he gets there and he meets this buddy. I think his name's Rusty. And Rusty is like, he's an army kid. And Rusty befriends Jack like immediately. And they go play army outside. Rusty took me into the bush to learn all the army stuff. The first thing I had to learn was heaps of hand signals. Stop. This one means stop. This means get down. This is move over there. And Jack just has a great time. It's basically an episode that that talks about ADHD. And like as a hyperactive kid who had a really hard time sitting still in school all day and would sometimes get distracted and miss important things and sometimes felt like a failure or like I was kind of dumb, like I saw myself in Jack. And I'm like, oh, yeah. But there's nothing wrong with Jack. He's better at being active and like following directions in a more like outside run around, have fun setting. 
And it was just like a really cool way. They never say the words ADHD. They never talk about how he's hyperactive or there's something wrong with him. But they tell a story in a way that shows that Jack actually has a lot of strengths and maybe the things that he believes about himself are not true. It's just the conditions of his life that make it hard for him to be successful in school. And I thought that was really sweet. And then at the end of the episode, he feels like he's good at something. Um, there's another episode called Onesies, where Chili, the mom of the, the two girls, Bluey and Bingo, her sister comes to visit and her sister brings onesies. And so the episode is about these two kids playing in their animal onesies and it's really cute. But like the subtext of the episode is that her sister hasn't come to visit in a really long time because coming to visit makes her sad. And the implication is that she struggles with infertility. And whenever she comes to see Bluey and Bingo, she's reminded of the babies that she'll never have. Mom, why did Auntie Brandy want to leave? Is she sad? And why have we only seen her once in our lives? <sighs> you know how you really want Bingo's cheetah onesie? Yeah, more than anything. But it doesn't fit you, so you can't have it. And there's not really anything anyone can do to make it fit. Yeah. Well... There's something Auntie Brandy wants more than anything as well. But she can't have it. And there's not really anything anyone can do. And, like, there's this conversation between Chili and her sister about how much love she has for her and how much she appreciates her coming over and spending time with the kids and, like, how her sister can still find joy in her nieces, even though she can't have kids of her own. And so there's, like... There's these really silly stories intermingled in between all that. There's these little moments of like beautiful, real life. Like it's not just silly entertainment. It's like, oh, these are real things that real people deal with on a regular basis. And they honor them in a, in a really cool way. And at the end of the episode, I think both the kids and the adults watching feel like very strong emotions. And in marketing, I, I think emotion is like the number one tool that we have to use. I think, especially in B2B marketing, it's probably the most underutilized tool is trying to elicit some sort of emotion in, in the content that you create. And so that's, that's one insight that I kind of had watching Bluey and trying to make a parallel to marketing. Yeah, so the episode I watched was with the kid Rusty and his dad was in the army and I was in the army and yep. I spent time in deployment and stuff. So obviously like, you know, that part of it hit home for me too. But I think, I think part of that, and like I had so many crazy stories from my time in the army that one of my, one of my soldiers, it's like, Hey, can I go home early? Cause it's my kid's birthday. I'm like, yeah, for sure. And he's like, yeah, it's just tough. Cause he's turning 10 and I've already missed five. And you're just like, <laughs> yeah, it's like crazy stuff. But like I told you that story in five seconds, like that's the sort of stuff that like Bluey does so well yeah. is it tells a story. <clears throat> Once upon a time, there was a village and in the village, everyone walked around barefoot. Ah, yay! Yeah, of course. I can't see the page. And why should I care? Ugh, I forgot about the catchphrase. If you block the words, mum can't read the story. And why should I care? Because stories are nice. And then it tells you a tiny little mini story in 15 seconds. And you're just like, wow, this is like masterful stuff. It's crazy. Masterful storytelling. And the, that's the way to evoke emotion is to tell a good story. And to tell the story in the least amount of words possible. Like, how can you tell the most compelling story that evokes the most emotion in the most efficient way possible? And that's like a real, 
it's a, it requires a lot of work. I have to go. I'm a big girl now. Remember, I'll always be here for you, even if you can't see me, because I love you. And I don't think most people are willing to do that work. I think it's much easier to like write, write out a list of features on your website and say, this is how we can help you. But the alternative is, I think, more powerful. If you need a primer on how to tell a word in six stories, there's also an episode of Remarkable that we did on the Hemingway six-word story. This is like the most pluggy episode that we've done. I but love it's, it. It's relevant. But no, I totally agree. I mean, like, it's so hard. But I think one of my big takeaways this from an inspiration standpoint for Bluey is A, they tell stories in five minutes. B, they have like an A story and a B story that like get told pretty much every episode. They have the kid's story and the parent's story. They tell those things in parallel, but they're completely different to each persona, for lack of a better word, that's watching. And they don't compromise on spelling it out. I'm sorry, kid. I'm not perfect, I'm afraid. That's okay. Being a parent's tough. So is drawing. Yeah, so is drawing. It's like you either get it or you don't, which like all those things are literally like Ian's book of storytelling is like all of those things. Like don't don't step on jokes, don't step on inside things, just like say it and if they get it, then great. But like, you know, I love that type of storytelling. I love things that are like hyper-focused for for, you know, different groups of people in the same story. And they didn't sit there and say, we can't tell a good story just because it's a five-minute cartoon about dogs who live in Australia, which is what we do all the time in B2B. We're like, well, how could I tell a good story about CIOs? Or like, another one that I hear all the time, people are like, well, I mean, accounting is so boring. So how can we make a show about accounting that's interesting? And you're like, well there's like a group of people who dedicate their entire life to this thing. So like, it's probably not boring to them. And also, even if it is maybe boring to them, it's your job to make it as interesting as possible. And even if you think that that's not possible, it is literally their job. So they're probably going to be pretty invested in getting better at it. So it's like, you can kind of make excuses all you want for like, oh, B2B storytelling is so hard. And for sure it is. But children's storytelling is just as hard and the creators of Bluey, you know, knocked it out of the park. Yeah, it's like accounting, a great example. Accounting might be boring, but accountants are not. Because right. accountants are people. And people are not boring if you ask them the right questions, you know? And it's like, if you're trying to sell accounting, then you're, you know, you're going to fail or you're not going to do super well. But if you're trying to, like, solve a problem for accountants and you do a really good job understanding them, and understanding what what they're struggling with and and what what they want out of life and like you really kind of have empathy for their their situation as an accountant then you can find some really compelling stories to tell uh, but it's curiosity about the people that creates the good story it's not what the people do it's not the activity that's interesting in and of itself and it's really been interesting how the story that we tell has to change based on who we're selling to. And historically, like a product marketer just wants to have data. They're like really excited about like understanding, you know, they, they understand what win-loss analysis is. They feel like it's part of their job to maybe run a program like this and 
and help influence maybe like the product roadmap or all sorts of, you know, different different aspects of the the go-to-market strategy. But with a sales leader, like the only thing they care about is hitting quota. That's it. It's like they're just constantly obsessed with are we generating enough pipeline and are we hitting our numbers? And especially recently, it's in the tech space, especially, I think there's a really common story, which is you're halfway through the quarter and you're looking at your numbers and you're like, oh crap, we're not going to hit our goal. And then you have that stress and that anxiety like kind of set in and you start to think like, well, what can we do to make it up? Like, cause your job's on the line and your team's on the line. And, you know, you've got this board of directors and this executive team kind of breathing down your neck saying, you made this projection. You, you thought you would do X, Y, and Z. And like, if you don't hit your goals, like there's, there's a lot at stake here for the company, people might lose their jobs. And so you feel all this pressure. And as the quarter draws to an end, you know, you haven't hit your goal. And then people demand an explanation. They want to know why. And if you don't have a clear answer as to why, then like you can't be relied on as a good leader. And if you don't have a clear why, how do you know what to change for the next quarter so that you can hit your strategy? And so there's like high stakes in a, in a situation like that right now where things are tough. And it's been really fun to kind of craft a story around, you know, instead of driving pipeline, pipeline, pipeline and turning up the pressure on your reps and your team to like just find more opportunities. It's like, well, how can how can we go talk to our buyers and figure out how to win a higher percentage of the opportunities we actually have? And like maybe generating more pipeline is not the only solution to this problem. And maybe if we had more clarity into why we were winning and why we were losing, we could turn a few knobs and pull the right levers and, you know, just win 5% more deals. And that would get us there faster than generating, you know, 100% more pipeline than the previous quarter. The story is the thing that's exciting. Telling people that we interview your your clients and tell you why you win and lose, like that's okay. But telling the story of somebody who's experienced that stress and that paranoia and like felt that pressure and been asked the question, like, why are we winning? Why are we losing? And wondered if they were gonna have to lay people off or get fired. Like that's a that's a way more fun story to tell because I think it elicits a lot more emotion helps people feel a lot more sense of urgency and gives people a lot more clarity into like the actual problem that we solve. And that problem is like, oh, how can we give you some reassurance and confidence that you're making the right moves instead of making something up at the last minute before your board meeting to hopefully sell your leaders that you know what you're talking about. Yeah, and it made me think of one of the best pieces of advice that I heard on a podcast from a guy, Jason Concepcion, who used to work at The Ringer and now has, has his own show, where he said, like, there's no such thing as writer's block. There's just reader's block. And, like, if you can't think of what to write, it just means that you haven't done enough research or you haven't, you know, studied enough. And I feel like it's the same way with sales and marketing. Where, like, if you can't figure out, you know, if what you're saying isn't resonating, then you just haven't been listening enough. And And a lot of times you asking the questions is already leading and someone else asking those questions is, is so valuable. So yeah, it's super cool. What's your content strategy? What's your what's your sort of holistic Nate's content strategy? I try and do a lot of interviews. And then, so basically what I do, what I try to do is think think like my buyer. What are the problems that they're facing? What are the struggles they're dealing with? And what are the best solutions 
out there to help them solve those problems. There's this ecosystem of complementary tools and strategies that can help our customers succeed in a, a world where it's really difficult to succeed right now. And then I go look at the content we've created and try and figure out where there's gaps. And then I'll go conduct interviews with experts, internal and external, to try and provide compelling solutions to those to those problems. And I always try and encourage those experts to provide stories and examples of what it looks like to overcome that specific obstacle, solve that specific problem. And once I have that interview, then I have like a piece of kind of pillar content that I can repurpose in almost every other format. You know, I can transcribe it. I can write a blog post about it. I can use it as a social social piece, repurpose it on a lot of just different distribution channels, email, whatever. But I would say the strategy right now is largely based on what are the big questions that my buyers need answers to and how can I provide it to them in like a really compelling story-driven format and distribute it to them in whatever platform or distribution channel is most convenient or desirable for them. Nate, it's been awesome chatting with you, chatting Bluey. Any final thoughts? I, I would say if you're a marketer, if you can describe the problem, the life, the struggles that your buyers are facing better than they can describe it themselves, they will automatically assume that you have the best solution. And so understanding the story behind the day-to-day -day life and what thoughts they're thinking and what tools they're using and when things frustrate them and what conversations they're having behind closed doors, like really having that empathy and understanding that and being able to communicate that back to them through your marketing messaging is going to accelerate the buying process and help you win business faster than anything else that you can do. So I would say like, focus more of your time and energy on learning how to tell good stories and learning how to tell good stories in a really powerful way that evokes emotion and makes people feel understood and seen. And they'll trust that you have exactly what they need to take away the pain or increase the rate of success around what they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis. Nate, you're the man. We appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining the show. Take care. Well, that's it for today. I hope you got some good ideas for your B2B content. Thank you for listening to Remarkable. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. Remarkable is created by the team at Caspian Studios, B2B podcast as a service. Caspian also creates fiction series for B2B companies. So if you want a business thriller, you can learn more at caspianstudios.com. Hollywood style storytelling for B2B. And in today's episode, you heard from myself, Ian Faison, and Meredith O'Neill, senior producer here at Caspian Studios. Remarkable was produced this week by Meredith O'Neill, mixed by Scott Goodrich, and our theme song is Solomon by Falak. Be remarkable and rise above the noise. <laughs>